Turning your Bibles to the book of Exodus, and it's of course the second book of the Old Testament. We begin this evening our study of a powerful book, this powerful book showing God's redemption of the nation of Israel. In this book we're going to see the all-powerful God, the all-powerful Creator, redeem His people, His chosen people Israel, from the land of Egypt. And the book centers around probably one of the greatest events in all history, and that's what we call the Exodus. We see people, slaves, uh, coming out of the most powerful nation in the world at that time, and they don't even lift a hand. God does it all. God is the Redeemer. In the weeks to come, what we're going to do is we'll see this amazing story, God calling his people basically out of bondage, uh, forming them into a nation, because they go down into Egypt as just a, a family, 70 people. They come out some 400 and something years later as a nation, and he's preparing them to worship their Creator and their Redeemer. And as we study the book, the, the events the events in this book really foreshadow the greatest event in the Bible, and that is the redemption of our Savior Jesus Christ, re- redemption of how our Savior redeemed us, how he took us from a, a people, people in bondage and sin, and has redeemed us and uh, by his death and resurrection. So we see some great truths as we look at the history of, of, of the book, really the book of Exodus, is, of course, nation of Israel. You know, I love the Old Testament. You think of Genesis and all the beginnings and everything in Exodus, and I hope you did get the cards, because we've got, on one side is, of course, the outline, and the other side is just some basic information on the book of Exodus. What we're trying to do is is, is put a card, or get a card for for every study that we've done, and we've got, already we've got, I think, First and Second Timothy, and we've got, of course, the book of John, and then Exodus, and some of the other things as well, and so uh, we're going to start having those out for you. You can grab them, and as the years go by, we'll have more and more. We may even go back and do some of the books we've already done, which we won't do for a while, because we try to do books about every 10 to 12 years just to do it that way. Because uh, we did we did the book of John uh, 13 years ago, and so we thought 13 years is long enough. We'll do it again. Anyway, I don't remember the last time I did Exodus. Uh, I'll look it up and tell you, but uh, there's a lot of great stuff in this book. We'll see it. Let's start with prayer, and then we'll get into the book. Heavenly Father, what a great night. Thank you for our Savior, Jesus Christ, and thank you for the book of Exodus, and we see the redemption of the people of Israel, how the great Creator God brings His people out, redeems them, and through the through the blood of the Passover Lamb, and then, Lord, we think about how our great Creator, Redeemer God, our Savior, Jesus Christ, redeems us as the Passover Lamb Himself as He dies to pay for sin and rise again and offer the gift of eternal life. And so, Lord, just teach us as we, see, as we look at the book, as we see some great truths, and just help us tonight as we think about uh, just the big outline, big overview of the book of Exodus. Teach us now, Lord. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, what do you think of when you think of Egypt? I mean, you probably think of pyramids and sand and the Sphinx and the desert and Pharaoh and hieroglyphics. And, of course, right now you're probably thinking of uprising and rebellion and what's happening over there and what, what's going to happen now that Mubarak is gone and, and just how quickly things can change in this world. And, you know, you, we just never know what's happening. Of course, Egypt is one of the oldest civilizations, going all the way back to the cradle of, of civilization, one of the oldest nations. And uh, there are those who have different views. You know, you may think of it and you think, I think of hieroglyphics and, and the Sphinx and, 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 you know, pyramids and things. Uh, I've told this story before, but I, when I think of Egypt and I think of the book of Exodus, I think of President Jimmy Carter sitting right there, and Anwar Sadat right there, and Menachem Begin right there, and it's when they made the peace treaty between Egypt and Israel. And of course you remember, right after that peace treaty, the terrorist, Islamic terrorist, killed Anwar Sadat, and that's when Mubarak took over in Egypt, some, whatever, 30-something years ago. And I remember watching that and watching President Carter, and they, he tried to take their hands, and they were gonna, everybody was going to shake hands together. And I remember that 
President Carter said something like, we have worked very hard to, to, to make this peace treaty. And Menachem and Begin looked over and said, but not as hard as my people worked when they were slaves in Egypt. That's what he said. See, to Israel, we may, we may, we may see Egypt as pyramids and sand, but Israel sees Egypt as a place of bondage. Israel always thinks of Egypt as the place of bondage and slavery. So we, as we begin the study, we're at, at, at this exact start, the last thing we remember is Joseph is down in Egypt, everybody's down there with him, and everything is going fine. And when we get into the book of Exodus, not very long into it, things aren't going fine anymore. In fact, the book of this, this book is the story of God's redemption of his people Israel as they are taken from slavery and bondage in the land of Egypt. And as we begin, raise some questions. I want you to think about, how did this happen? Why would God allow his people to be slaves for over 400 years? And how did Moses come to power? Moses, we could say it this way, Moses is nobody. If you look at the world, you say, Moses, Moses. Moses was nobody. In fact, he was some guy that was 80 years old, and he was a shepherd. And he wasn't even, you know, if you look at it that way. And why did God bring plagues on the Egyptians? And why was it ten plagues? What do these plagues mean? What were they for? How did it all fit together? So there's a lot of great things as we go through this. This evening we begin looking, and I think one of the best-known events in the Bible, and that is the Exodus. And as we begin, there, there are three things, or several things we want to do. Number one, we're going to get the background of the book of Exodus. That's what we'll do. I'm going to give you some key principles that I see from the book. And as you study it, as you read it on your own and put it together, you'll see some different things as well. And then I'll just give a little history of kind of how it all comes together. We actually won't get into the verses tonight. It's just, there's just a lot of background I want you to see. So we'll think about the background of the book. We're going to look at the date and the major things. We're going to see the principles, some things that I think we can learn from the book of Exodus that we can apply right now, of course, and then the background, how it fits. So let's start with the the, uh, the background, uh, basically, of the book of Exodus, uh, that kind of thing. Um, it, uh, you know, when you, when you realize that the, the Bible is two big sections, of course, Old Testament, New Testament. You know, I always start off with my... my Two two class by saying that the Bible can divide into two big sections. You know, most everybody gets that Old Testament, New Testament. I do. I tell you this: when I trusted Christ on February thirteenth, nineteen sixty nine, uh, I had never read the Bible. I had never read the Bible. I never had a Bible. And not too long after that, Nat Clark gave me a Bible, and I remember going, "Okay, there's an old part and a new part." That's how I thought about it because I read. I looked at somebody said, "Well, this is Old Testament. This is New Testament." And I remember thinking that way. And so when you think about the Bible, the Old Testament, of course, looks forward to the coming Messiah. The New Testament looks back to the Messiah who came. Exodus is the second book, of course. Uh, in this, there's a, there's five books that we call or that are called the law. Sometimes the, the Jewish people call them the Torah. Uh, they were written by Moses. But, but by the way, just think about this. If you look at the, I hope you're at the very beginning. Notice how the book starts. It says, now these are the names of the sons of Israel who came to Egypt with Jacob. And they came, each one with his own household. Then he begins to list them. Now, I don't know whether you know this or not, but the names of the Hebrew books of the Bible all begin by the first words of the, of the book. We say this is Exodus. This is not Exodus. In the Hebrew Bible, this is called, these are the names. That's the name of the book. These are the names. And the name that we say Exodus actually comes from the Septuagint, which is the Greek Old Testament. And this comes from Ek Adas. Ek means out of. Adas means way. So Ex Adas means the way out. 
Exodus is the way out of Egypt. That's why the book is called Exodus. Hebrew, if you picked up the Hebrew Bible and you could read that, it would say, these are the names. That's the title of the book. These are the names. And so uh, we're looking at it as the Exodus, the, the way out. It is the story of Israel's way out of Egypt. Who wrote the book? Of course, we, we know that Moses, God used Moses to write the first five books. Moses was known as the lawgiver. In, in John 1.17, the law came through Moses, but grace and truth came through Jesus Christ. Moses was known as the lawgiver besides Abraham and David. If you said Jewish people, we've been seeing Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, Judah on down. But if you just say Jewish people, they say Abraham, David, Moses. That's that's the ones. I mean, because Moses is the lawgiver. David is the great king. Abraham is the patriarch, the big father, you know. And so uh, the Pharisees, they talked to, they were all arguing. And the Pharisees would say, look, we know that God has spoken to Moses, but we don't know about this Jesus. In Mark chapter 7, verse 10, Jesus says that Moses wrote the law, and he quoted it, quoted Exodus 20, verse 12, saying that Moses wrote that down. So if there's a question about the first five books, there's not really that Moses wrote them. And when we really talk about it, Moses wrote what we'd say is the book of Exodus. When was the book written? I mean, that's one of the questions. And most likely shortly after the Exodus, near the end of the wilderness journey, probably around the year 1400 B.C., near the end of Moses' life. We'll see this later on, but Moses' life is divided into three 40-year time periods. His first 40 years was in Egypt, as is growing up in Pharaoh's household, his next 40 years was in the wilderness. Uh, when I say the wilderness, back there, being a shepherd. And then his last 40 years was leading the nation out and wandering in the wilderness for 40 years before he could ever go in line. So he lived to be 120 years, and his life was almost divided exactly into 40, 40, 40. Uh, we try to figure the date. Let me just give you this, I think, the next slide. In First Kings chapter 6, verse 1, it tells us, that the Exodus was 480 years after the fourth year of the reign of Solomon. Solomon ruled in 966. You go back 480 years, it's 1446 B.C. is most likely when the Jewish people came out of Egypt, 1446 years before the birth of Christ. Moses lived about 40 years after that and probably wrote it toward the end. So that's why we say about 1400 B.C. was when most likely the book was written. Uh, what was the theme What's the theme of the book? Well, deliverance and redemption. Deliverance and redemption. There's, there's more to it. If you have this uh, this little card, the, I've got the book of Exodus, delivering Egypt. Excuse me, delivering Israel out of Egypt. We got author of Moses. The date around 1400 BC. The theme is redemption from Egypt, but revelation from God, because the book divides into two big sections, and we'll see it in more just a little bit. Key events of the plagues and the Passover and the law and those kind of things. Moses, Pharaoh, and Aaron, those kind of things. So you can look at that, and you can keep it in your Bible and use it as you read and study and do all those kind of things. We see the story of God delivering his people from bondage in Egypt. He redeems his nation. And by the way, this is the theme of the whole Bible, is it not? Think about it. What's the, the perfect God brings... Sinful man back to himself using his son, Jesus Christ. The whole story of the Bible is reconciliation and redemption. How God redeems mankind. How God says, I'm perfect God, this is sinful man, I want them back with me. I'm going to reconcile them, redeem them, bring them back to me, and I'm going to use my son, Jesus Christ, to do that. That's a powerful truth. First Peter 1.18 talks about we're redeemed by the blood of the Lamb. Man is in bondage to sin. God redeems man by sending his son, Jesus Christ. This great book shows us God's redemption of his people from the land of Egypt. And, uh, you know, when you, when you think of, of uh, the Jewish nation, 
why would God pick these people? You know, we talked about it when we went through the book of Genesis, and out of, out of nowhere, God chooses a man named Abram, Big Daddy, remember? Chooses Abram and brings him out and says, I'm gonna, I'm gonna form a family through you, a nation through you, I'm gonna give you a land, a seed, a blessing, the Messiah's gonna come through you. And so you've got this Abraham and Isaac, and then on down to Jacob, and on down to Judah, and then on down to David, and all the way up to Christ. Why would God choose these people? What's his purpose? Well, there's a couple of things, I think, why he chose the Jewish nation set apart to give us two things. One is the Word of God. The Scripture, it's a Jewish book. When people say, I don't like Jewish people, you don't like Jewish people that you'd use in their book, right? Uh, Do you like Jewish people? Uh, My Savior's Jewish, by the way. Jesus is Jewish. You know, I've never understood why anybody wouldn't love Jewish people. They're God's people, and our Savior's Jewish, and, and, and God gave us, through that people group, the Word of God. Now, the best that we can understand is we know the whole Old Testament is written by Jewish people. We know that the whole New Testament is written by Jewish people, except possibly there is a possibly that Luke may not have been Jewish. We're not sure. There's some dispute on that. So if, if Luke was Jewish, every book in the Bible was written by Jewish people. It's a Jewish book. So he used the Jewish people to give us the word of God. Paul states that the oracles of God were deposited through the Jewish people. So why would he give us those people? Why did he have those people to give us the Bible? The second thing is to give us the Messiah, the Savior, Jesus Christ. I mean, when you think about it, Jesus Christ was born from the nation of Israel, from Abraham to Isaac to Jacob to Judah through David all the way through. And he is a Jewish person. The Messiah was Jewish. The Savior of the world is Jewish. I mean, I love it. I just, it's so great. As we think about the book written by Moses around 1400 BC, there we see God's redemption of Israel. Now, there's some principles I want you to think about. Some key things to think about as we go through the book. In fact, just, just big ideas of, of things, because there's a lot of, as we go through it, we're going to make all kind of applications. We're going to see all kind of things. We're going to see history. We're going to see the plagues. This is, when I trusted Christ and started reading the Bible, I've told you all this, I started with the Old Testament, of course, because it makes sense. If you, if you've got a book, you start at the first of the book. And I read Genesis, and I, I was amazed at Genesis. I thought there was so much in there. And I got into Exodus, and, and it just when we got over to the plagues and there were frogs and locusts and lightning and, and darkness and, and all that. I mean, I just thought that was the most amazing book. I'll still never forget the day that, that I read in the Bible that in the Passover that the firstborn in Egypt died who didn't have the blood on the door. And it said there was not one home where there was not one dead. And I thought to myself, I was living, I, had, I was going to school at Delta State, but my hometown was Meridian, Mississippi, which had about 40,000 people. And I thought about what would it be like in Meridian if one morning everyone woke up and in every home in Meridian somebody had died in the night. And I thought, boy, that would be horrible. Then I realized that it was the entire nation of Egypt that the firstborn of every family that didn't put the blood on the door, and that was primarily Jewish people who put the blood on the door, that every home had somebody die that night. And I, I, I couldn't get over that. And, of course, as I continued to read Exodus and I got over about the sacrifices, and the, I said, I think I'm going to skip on to the new part. And, and, and so, but <laughs> there are a lot of things in the book that are so great. But let me, let me give you four principles that I see that I, this sort of stand out to me as I study it. The f- first one is this. God uses ordinary people to do extraordinary things. He does. It's all the way through. God uses regular people. Moses was a normal guy. 
God used this man to lead his people out of slavery into freedom and to begin a great nation. And think about it. How old was Moses when he came to Pharaoh and said, God said, let my people go. How old was he? 80 years old. We think today, 80 years old. I mean, you're kind of over the hill at 80 years old. He's 80 years old. And and God uses him to come and, and to bring out his people. Moses taught with God. Moses got the law. Moses did great things for God. And guess what? He was just a man, an ordinary man. I mean, you remember what he did at the start? We'll see it in chapter 2. He kills a man and hides him in the sand. God uses regular people. Really, the truth is, that's the only kind there are. <laughs> you know, we're not that good, right? I mean, let's face it. God, let me, here's kind of an application to think. God can use us in the same way ordinary people used by God to do extraordinary things. That's what it's all about, is we're obedient to God to use the gifts, talents, abilities that He has given us. It'll be His power through us. We get to proclaim the salvation message. Think about that. Ordinary people like us, we get to go into this community and we get to tell people how they can know that they have eternal life. I see, I, I never forget the, the person that, led me to, that told me about Jesus. I can't forget that because it changed my whole life. And you get to tell people about Jesus. I mean, ordinary people. Philippians 4.13, we can do what? All things through the one who strengthens us. We're just ordinary people. You know, you, you look at it and, and you, you go through the history of the Bible and you've got people like Abraham and, and Isaac and, and you've got Paul. And, and you say, well, Paul was so special. Well, Paul was a good student, but, but he was old Pharisee and, and pretty mixed up, pretty way off, to be real honest with you. And you see Peter. What do you think about Peter? I mean, he's the rock, right? Well, he's not a very much of a rock uh, after, even after Jesus says, you're the rock. Because, I mean, he would one minute he'd get a question right, and the next minute he'd get everything wrong. And it's just like us. So God uses ordinary people. The second thing is this. God is faithful. All the way through, we'll see it. He always keeps his word, whatever he promises. He promised that he would bring his people out. Listen to this. You don't have to turn there, but in Genesis 15, just listen. In Genesis 15, when God is talking to Abraham. Now, just remember, Abraham to Isaac to Jacob to Judah and on down into the, all of this. Listen to this. He says to Abraham, he says, God said to Abraham, Know that for certain your descendants will be strangers in a land that is not theirs, where they will be enslaved and oppressed 400 years. Now, this was told to Abraham. This is long before Isaac, and this is long before Jacob, and this is long before Joseph, and they all went down to Egypt. This is long before they went into slavery, and God said, your people, your descendants will be slaves in a land that they're strangers in for 400 years. And then he says, but I will judge the nation whom they will serve, and afterwards they will come out with many possessions. That come true? Were they their slaves for over 400 years? Did they come out rich? They're slaves. How are they going to come out rich? Because as they came out, God told them to ask the Israel, uh, the, the Egyptians to give them their gold and silver and their earrings and stuff, and the Egyptians just took it off and handed it to them. They came out rich. Where do you think they got the gold to make the golden calf? Where do you think they got the gold to make the tabernacle and the Ark of the Covenant? They got it from the Egyptians. 
Thank you, Pharaoh. We made a, you know, we made the Ark of the Covenant from Pharaoh's stuff. God keeps his promises. Let me tell you, here's an application. God's faithful in our lives. He keeps his promises and does what he says he will do. God said, I will send a redeemer. And at exactly the right time, Galatians 4, 4, in the fullness of time, God brought forth his son born of the law, born under the law. Here he is, there's, there's the redeemer. He says, you know what I give you? I'll give you eternal life and you'll never perish. Anybody that has trusted in Jesus Christ and says, I might can lose my salvation, is not understanding the faithfulness and the promises of God. They're not. Because he says, I give you eternal life and you'll never perish. It's a powerful truth. Third sort of big thing in there is that God is the one who redeems. God redeems his people. He purchased them from Egypt. It's the blood of the Passover lamb. We'll see it in, in Exodus. In fact, in Exodus, listen to this. I just want to read this to you. In Exodus 15, verse 13, here's the song of Moses. You know, Moses wrote a song. After they came out of Egypt, they crossed over. The, they crossed the Red Sea, and the Egyptians all drowned. And, and Moses said, I, I've written a song. I'd like to sing it for you. And Miriam and them had already sung a song. Moses said, well, I'm going to sing a song. That's my older sister, Right? Do you ever think about it? you ever think about the family? That Miriam was the older sister and, and, and Aaron was the older brother. Aaron was three years older than Moses. And so Moses said, I've got a song. Listen to one of the lines of the song. He says, in your loving kindness, you led your people whom you have redeemed. See, God's the redeemer. God is the redeemer. He redeems his people. And let me tell you, we realize that God is the one who redeems us. He sent His Son, Jesus Christ, to pay the price. The wages of sin is death. Jesus Christ died on the cross to pay for sin, to redeem us. We're not redeemed with corruptible things like silver and gold, but with the precious blood of Jesus Christ. He purchased us from the bondage of sin by sending His Passover lamb, Jesus Christ. He is the Lamb of God who does what? According to John the Baptist, He's the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. Boy, it's so perfect. The last big principle, basically, is that God's a holy God. God is a holy God. He is set apart. He's perfect. The word holy does mean set apart. That's all it means. To uh, it, it's The Hebrew word is kabod. It has the idea of heaviness and set apart, that it's holy. And, and, and uh, it means the, the righteousness and the holiness of God. What did, uh, when um, Moses saw the burning bush, and he said, I see a bush burning, but it's not burning up. I think I'm going to go over there and check it out. Because that's why, you know, it wasn't so strange that something might be on fire in the desert because things burned. But what was strange is the bush was burning, but it wasn't burning up. And so he said, I think I'll go over there. And what happened when he got over there? What did God tell him to do? Why? Take off your shoes? Why? Holy ground. Why is it holy ground? Because God's there. God's a holy God. The tabernacle was holy. The temple is holy. Nation of Israel is supposed to be what? Holy people. The church, the body of Christ, is supposed to be what kind of people? Holy people. Because he said, you shall be holy because I... What? Because I'm holy. God's holy. We're supposed to... He's holy too. He, he, he's not the big man in the sky. He's not. He's not. He's the holy, righteous, perfect God. And let me say it in a nice way. He is not to be trifled with. He is not. He is... All powerful, he expects his his redeemed ones to live holy lives. 
We're to live as children of God. We're to walk worthy of the calling which we've been called. So what, what do we see from the book of Exodus? Oh, God expects his people and his redeemed ones to be holy. Okay, next slide. Is we see that God uses people, that God is faithful, that God is the redeemer, and that God is holy. That's things that we can see from this book. Let me, let me just give you sort of an outline. Now, do this. If you got the card, uh, on one side, of course, it has the, the, the information. On the other side, it has the outline. You can take the book of Exodus, and we're not going to go through the whole thing. In fact, we're primarily going to go through about the, the, the first 18 chapters. I just want us to, to get out. Now, we, I guess if we all decided we wanted to keep going, we could. But I just wanted to show you how it divides up. The book divides into two parts. The first part is what I call redemption from Egypt. It's God's power. And we see their slavery. We see the ba- we call it the battle with Pharaoh because really it's a battle between God. It's God and the gods of Egypt. Every one of the plagues, you might say, why did they give ten plagues? Because every one of the plagues had to do with one of the gods of Egypt. Was the Nile, was the Nile River a god? It was. He turned the river to blood. Was the sun, Ra, a god? He, tur- he turned it to darkness. See, every plague that was in the book that was on the people of Egypt had to do with their gods. And so where I've got the battle with Pharaoh, it's the one God, the true God, the God of the Israelites. And that's why Pharaoh would say, I do not know the Lord. I do not know the Lord. Don't come here asking me anything. I don't know your Lord and I don't care anybody. That's what he's saying. And that's why Pharaoh, That's why Moses would go, God says, let my people go. It was a battle between the God of Israel and the false gods of Egypt. The last, the last plague was death of what? Firstborn. See, Pharaoh was considered to be what? A god. And his son, his firstborn son, would be the next god. That's a judgment. So we, the, the first part there is the battle of Pharaoh, and then God's deliverance, and we see the Passover, the protection, and all of that things. That's really the first half of the book, or the first part of the book, which deals with redemption. The last part is what I call revelation from God, and we see God's holiness, because they get out there, and they get the law, and he talks about things, and then he gives them a covenant, and then they build the tabernacle. And that part, this is, that, sometimes why some people just don't study it so much, because you get the, the construction of the tabernacle. In fact, you have five chapters of, you know, get these boards, and get these hooks and get this and a lot of people go I don't you know it's too boring but you know it's very detailed there's a reason for it being detailed uh, he told him exactly how he wanted it built it was built after the pattern of the one in heaven and second is God cares about every detail doesn't he everything in your life he cares about everything you can't say oh it's too little God doesn't care about that God says oh yeah try me try me I care about everything I care about everything that's going on in your life we uh, we'll we'll look at how they're in bondage and how they come out and and all of those things. I think there are three three big uh, big things or three key things in Exodus uh, that you could put together the book. I've divided it into two on this, but they're really three big things. There's the deliverance and redemption. There's the worship at Sinai. They go to Mount Sinai and get the law and worship God. And then there's the tabernacle where God dwells among his people. So in the book of Exodus, there's the whole redemption of coming out of Egypt. There's going to Mount Sinai, getting the law and worshiping God. And then there's the building the tabernacle where God lives among his people. So the book is incredible, really, when you see all of the things that are there. Well, let's kind of finish up with just sort of the history part of, what's, of how this all fits together. 
How did all this come about? Now, we just finished Genesis not too long ago, so that helps a lot. If we hadn't studied Genesis and we just decided to study Exodus, we'd need a lot more background. But since we just studied Genesis, we already know it. And, and think about this. In Genesis 12, God called a man by the name of Abram to leave his land to go to a land that he would give him. It was called the promised land. He had the land, the seed, the blessing. There was the foreshadow of his descendants would be slaves. Abraham had two sons. What was Abraham's two sons' names? Isaac and Ishmael, and the promise came through Isaac, and then Isaac had two sons, and his two sons were? It's not been that long ago, about a year. Okay, what is it? What's his two sons? Jacob and Esau, and the promise came through Jacob. And Jacob had how many sons? Twelve. And if if you want to cheat, all you have to do is look at the very start of the book of Exodus, and it lists some of the sons, not all of them, but it lists some of them of the twelve sons that belong to to Jacob. And Jacob had the 12 sons, but probably the one most famous one that we dealt with in the book was Joseph. And Joseph's brothers hated him because he was pretty much a smart aleck in the beginning days. He was. He, he was. Now, he was right. But, you know, you can be right and still be a smart aleck. Because he told him, I had a dream and everybody's going to bow down to me. And they said, well, you think we're going to bow down to you? And he said, oh, yeah, you're going to bow down to me. Well, it probably wasn't the best thing to do with the brothers anyway. But uh, they sold him into slavery. God was working in all the events. God raised Joseph up even as a slave. And Pharaoh had the dreams. And Joseph was able to interpret the dreams. And Joseph became number two in the whole land of Egypt. I mean, think about this. A Jewish slave becomes the second most powerful person in the the most powerful nation in the world, Egypt, at that time. And it's just amazing. And he, Joseph told that there would be seven years of good years and seven years of famine, and everything came true, and Joseph was raised up. And when he got in control of everything, his brothers came, and by the grace of God, the entire family came. They left the promised land to go to Egypt. You remember, as Jacob left, and this is one of the things we highlighted when we studied several weeks ago, that when the nation of Israel, when when I say nation, when the 70 people were about to leave the promised land to go down to Egypt, Jacob actually stopped and said to God, are you sure I'm supposed to leave the land? And God said, yes, go. And we raised the question, why did God take his people out of the promised land and put them in Egypt. And there are two things that we talked about. One was to preserve the nation during the famine because there was the famine and there was no food and the only food was in Egypt and Joseph was in charge of the food. And so he took his family and put them in Egypt to protect them. But there was the second thing and that was to remove them from the sinful influences of the Canaanites. The land that 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 Jacob was living in was called the Canaanite land and had the Hittites and Jebusites and all those people and They were influencing the Jewish people, and we saw that Judah had already intermarried with the wrong person and got all kind of problems, and what God did was remove his people from that influence. They were called the Amorites. That whole people group was sometimes called the Amorites. God said, I'm removing my people when the iniquity of the Amorites is full, means when their wickedness is full, I will bring my people back and remove them from that land. So he took them out to protect them, to, to save them through the, for, the, for the famine and then to remove them from the Canaanites. The book of Genesis ends with Joseph dying in Egypt. Do you remember Joseph's request of his people? Take my bones back. He said, listen, they're going to embalm me, and since I'm famous, uh, I'll be on display. And so you can't go bury me like we did Dad. 
Because when Daddy died, Daddy wanted to be buried back at the cave of Machpelah. And so Joseph asked Pharaoh if it was okay if he take his daddy back and bury him there. Well, when Joseph died, Joseph couldn't say, I want to be buried in the land because Joseph's too famous. So they embalmed Joseph and set him up. And Joseph said, one day when you leave and go back, take my bones with you. And we'll, if we... When we look through this, we're going to see that as they get ready to leave, they go, oh, by the way, let's don't forget to get, don't forget to get Joseph. Here's his, somebody, could somebody get the other end of this thing, you know? That's what they did. They took him out. And they buried him right where they were supposed to bury him. As we begin the book of Exodus, we find the Jews living in Egypt. And everything seems fine when we first start. But then there comes to power a, a Pharaoh that doesn't. Remember Joseph. Now, who? how could anybody not remember Joseph? What happened? We're going to talk about it because we believe this group, an outside group called the Hyksos, came in to Egypt and took over and ruled for a while. And then a new dynasty of Egyptians moved up and pushed them back out. And this new pharaoh that moved up and pushed the Hyksos out basically saw these Jews... And they were foreigners, and Hicksox were foreigners, and these Egyptians said, I don't know what to think about these people, because what if they raise up and they join with our enemies and defeat us? That's where this whole idea came that we don't know if we can trust these foreign Jews. And it leads to slavery and the story of God redeeming his people. And so in the weeks to come, we'll see that. What have we seen tonight? We've seen Exodus as a story of redeeming, of God redeeming his people. It was written by Moses about 1400 B.C. The Jews come to live in Egypt during the time of Joseph. And God keeps his promises because he raises up Moses to take the people back to the promised land. So powerful. Let me give you some applications. If you have questions or comments, we can do that. First of all, let's be faithful to be used by God. You know, God uses ordinary people. To carry out his plans. I mean, if you if you took Peter and James and Andrew and Nathaniel and Bartholomew, those guys, if you start taking the twelve, what 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 made them famous? Nothing. They weren't even educated, and yet God took those people and changed the world. And we look at our room, there's enough of us in this room to change the entire city. If 12 people can change the world, you know this group can change this little city. Right? And he uses ordinary people. What are your gifts and your talents, your abilities? Use them for the glory of God. Say, God, just take my life. Whatever you want me to do, it's your power through me anyway. So just use me for your glory. So let's just be faithful. The second thing is remember, let's come to Christ for redemption. The whole aspect of redemption is through Jesus Christ. He is the Savior. We've all sinned and come short of the glory of God. We need a Savior. He's the way, the truth, and the life. No man comes to the Father but through Him. Uh, As I look around the room, I know almost everybody here. I hope and pray that every one of you, that you have believed in Jesus Christ as your Savior. You understand redemption is through Christ, that He died for you, He paid for your sins and rose again, and you trust in Him and Him alone for eternal life. That's all it is. Now, we need to make sure that as we go into this community that we tell people the message. It's the same thing as we're seeing in the Gospel of John. Salvation isn't a person, the person of Jesus Christ. He's the Redeemer and the Savior. We need to tell people that. I mean, I think people are so mixed up, they, you know, they, forget, they forget to talk about Jesus. Because He's the Savior. He's the Redeemer. May we live holy lives 
being faithful to be used by our God and Savior, knowing that we have redemption only through God's Son and our Savior, Jesus Christ. Let's pray. If you've got questions or comments, we can do that. Heavenly Father, what a great start as we think about the book of Exodus. And Lord, there's going to be so much in this book. Lord, we realize that you just want us to be faithful because you take ordinary people and you do extraordinary things. And we see it in the life of Aaron and Moses and Miriam and everybody through the book and, and, and back through the whole Bible. That's what we see is just you take people. And you use them for your glory. And we know that we can do all things through you who strengthen us. So, Lord, we just want our lives to count for you. And we want to take the gifts, talents, and abilities that you've given us. And we just want to be used. And so, Lord, I just ask you, would you take us and use us for your glory? Lord, we realize that redemption, salvation, really is through Jesus Christ. He's the way, the truth, and the life. And just like the Passover lamb in Exodus is redeeming them from the bondage of, of slavery in Egypt, we realize our Passover lamb, Jesus Christ, redeems us from the bondage of sin. And whenever we trust in Jesus Christ as Savior, you give to us eternal life and you save us forever. Lord, we be faithful to tell people that great message and we thank you for the truth of salvation. Lord, I thank you for... 42 years ago, you allowed me to be able to get in that Bible study, which I didn't even want to go to, and that you gave me the message. And by your grace, I got I trusted in my Savior, Jesus. Thank you for that. And I, I know that every one of us in this room, Lord, we feel the same way. Thank you for getting us the truth about Christ, and then we trusted in him as our Savior. Thank you, Lord, for that. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen.